Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Is there anything in particular that you're going to be listening for in the president's state of the union, accepting the world as it is today, that we're going to have this thing, even no. though I strongly believe we shouldn't? Is there anything that you're going to be particularly listening for? No, because sorry, that's not very nuanced. Um, <laughs> no, no, because it's still him giving the state of the union. I think that you'll see what you saw last time because it worked, which is he will. Attempt to be presidential. I don't I don't expect any major disruption. And we'll see a little bit of a bump because that's the other thing that bugs me about the State of the Union is it's become sort of campaign strategy, presidential campaign strategy. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome 
to a very important episode of Pantsy Politics because today, February 5th, our book, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening, A Guide to Gracefield Conversations, is hitting the shelves. We need celebratory music here, Dylan. We are so excited. This has been a long journey and it feels like it does. It feels like everybody says it does, which is like a baby being born. <laughs> Only a little more anticlimactic <laughs> because we've had the book in our possession for a while, but now everybody else in the world is getting theirs and we're very excited. We can't wait to hear what everybody thinks about the book. We're going to talk about the book as it relates to the State of the Union in the main segment of the show. And in the first segment, we're going to talk about the state of Virginia, what's going on there. And we'll close it out with what's on our mind outside politics. We also wanted to share that an amazing member of our launch team has set up a program called If You Give a Rip a Book in an effort to get our book, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening, in the hands of every member of Congress. So there are two Google Doc spreadsheets where you can sign up to send a book to your member or any member of the United States House of Representatives or the United States Senate. It's really amazing. So we'll send, put the links to both of those spreadsheets in the show notes. And if you want to send your, if you want to give a rep a book, please sign on and sign up for your representative. It's, I can't even express how amazing I think this initiative is. And we really appreciate it. So if you want to participate, sign up. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, everyone on our launch team who have been just incredibly supportive. This is a weirdly emotional process. And the launch team always digs me out when I'm in kind of a weirdly emotional space about it. So we appreciate all of you. Before we dive in, we wanted to say that yesterday our discussion with Daniel Jackson on the Ordinary Faith podcast went live. So if you're interested in hearing a little more nuanced about our histories with faith and where we are now. I really enjoyed the conversation, and we'll have the link in the show notes. For anyone who missed the major news this weekend, Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, is embroiled in a scandal. It was revealed that there were incredibly racist photos on his medical school yearbook page. His picture next to a photo of two people one in blackface and one in a Ku Klux Klan hood. At first, he seemed to apologize for being in the photo. Then he walked that back and said, I think I would have remembered that because I remember this other time I wore back blackface to perform as Michael Jackson. There were some racist nicknames for him in college that other people unearthed. He, despite calls from across the spectrum, particularly among Democrats, to resign, he is resisting that. and. There was reporting that he met with advisors on Sunday and is trying to decide if he can govern as the governor of Virginia in the face of this scandal. So lots and lots to talk about, although Beth texted me and said, at what point this weekend, I do not want to talk about this. My first thing, this is not important, but who has medical school yearbooks? That's weird. Did you have a law school yearbook? No. I didn't either. I Not, thought that was kind of I thought that it was, was my super first thing. weird too. But I always assume that medical school is completely different from law school in every way mm-hmm. because of the culture surrounding both institutions. Look, part of the reason I don't want to talk about this, but we're going to, is that one of the most infuriating things that happens for me is when a man explains to me what it's like to be a woman in an organization or a workplace. Or a man explains what it means to be discriminated against or sexually harassed to me. It just drives me bananas. Not because men don't have important things to say about that. They do. 
it often comes at a time and in a way that it feels like one more way in which my opinion gets devalued. It's like I'm not allowed to even be an expert on my own life experiences. So it bugs me. Extrapolating from that, I cannot imagine being a person of color and caring one bit what a white lady thinks about this. Mm -hmm. And so I struggle with how to talk about it other than to say that my thesis here is we don't decide as white people what is offensive enough to create Mm -hmm. a call for resignation because we don't know. And this seems horribly offensive to me. And when a wide coalition of people announce, yes, in fact, it is, I'm not going to argue with them about that. The other thing that has occurred to me as I've thought more about this, because Sarah and I talk a lot about grace and redemption. We talk about criminal justice Mm -hmm. reform. We talk about not wanting to demonize people or reduce people to their worst moment. I just have been trying to crystallize my thoughts about how that marries up with the idea that someone in this position should resign. And I think what it is for me is that we don't have things that are ours for losing in many places in our lives. And that is a just sad and difficult reality of growing up. And so I don't want to reduce Ralph Northam to this incident or throw him away as a human being, or even relentlessly shame him. I feel no glee about any of this. I also think he is not entitled to serve as the governor of Virginia. And if something has happened that has made doing so hurtful to people, impossible to do well, then he needs to let it go. And that's how I feel about Brett Kavanaugh sitting on the Supreme Court. Something happened mm-hmm. that that made a lot of us in the United States question his ability to do that job. And he's not entitled to it, no matter how hard he worked for it, no matter what his qualifications are. We're not entitled to these leadership positions. We're not entitled to much of anything. Right. That's just a thing that happens. You learn like I'm not entitled to have certain relationships. I'm not entitled to be employed by my employer. And things are going to come and go, and I've got to be able to roll with that. And sometimes they're going to come and go because of my own past decisions in ways that feel totally divorced from the person I am now. I can completely believe Ralph's statement that this does not reflect who he is as a human being today. I accept that wholeheartedly. And still, I think he needs to let this go. You can absolutely believe in grace and refuse to dehumanize Ralph Northam while simultaneously believing that he should resign. I don't think that those are in conflict with one another in any way. In the current state of our politics and our society, what would be helpful is if everyone in a position of leadership facing this kind of decision asked themselves, does this increase trust in my institution? or decrease trust in my institution because we are dealing with a epidemic of distrust in our institutions particularly government i wish ralph northam would ask himself if i stay 
Does this increase trust or decrease trust? I believe it decreases trust in the institution. And that's who he's serving, not himself, not his own political legacy. There are more important things, particularly in public service. And I think if he asked himself that honestly, he would see that the best thing for the institution is for him to resign. And that's what leadership calls for. Leadership in anything calls for us to say, what is best for the people I'm serving? Mm -hmm. How we got to this place of the political equivalent of stand your ground laws, I don't know. And it seems to me that it's also not best for individuals to fight Mm -hmm. things like this because what what is going to happen inevitably and what is unfolding now is like it's not just this one thing. Here are all the other things. And here are things that aren't even close to true, but someone can write them because we have the Internet. And then your family is going to start to come under attack. And then people are going to call your house and harass you and threaten Mm -hmm. you. And it's going to just cascade in this way that is miserable for everyone. And look, that is not okay. That should not happen. And part of the reason that I wanted to say emphatically that I don't feel any sense of glee about this is because we shouldn't. This is sad. It is disappointing. It is a reminder that Ralph Northam is not a particularly bad guy, but we have an enormous problem in our country with racism, and we always have, and we got a lot of work left to do. And no one wants to take that part of the story, right? And that's kind of what bugs me about, the the one thing that bugs me are all of the calls for his resignation from people who don't live in Virginia or are not of his party, or just this kind of culture where we have where I don't care what you think, Joe Lieberman. Everybody has to weigh in immediately and just like pile on when the truth is, I think it is very clear as soon as the Virginia Democratic Party said he needed to resign, that feels to me like the right outcome, right? And they said it in a way that is disappointed and sad and frustrated, but Correct. Can we just let's do that and then move on? I understand the contrary reaction to outrage culture. I feel that, too. I think you can hold that and also say, but a leader does not stand and fight in a way that jeopardizes all of the people the leader is supposed to be serving and their trust and their confidence and what is able to be done effectively for the communities they serve. I think the reason we've reached the stand your ground equivalent in politics is because everywhere in our culture, we are not great at detaching our roles from our identity. Ralph Northam is more than the governor of Virginia. That's a role he plays. That's not his identity. But when it becomes so inextricably linked with your identity, you do get defensive and you do become, especially in politics, so linked to your political side that you can't in those moments see that there are more important things as a person, as a culture, as a society. And I hope that he sees that. I hope that he can recognize that he is more than that decision, that he is more than the governor of Virginia, and that he, you know, is still deserving of basic human dignity and respect. But 
that there is more at play here. And I think you're exactly right. Once the Democratic Party of Virginia decided that they had lost confidence in his leadership, he needed to resign. I think he will end up resigning, honestly. We shall see, but I think that's the end game here. I think that's right. And I think that the same attachment to role that has created this culture also creates our resistance to positive social change. I picked up Noah Rothman's book and started reading it this weekend. I usually really value Noah Rothman's writing. I was surprised that this is the topic that he chose for his first book, and I was surprised as I started reading the book because it felt a little bit like a different person to me than the one I read in his column all the time. I don't want to overstate that because I don't always agree with him, but I do think he is a smart, scholarly person who has valuable things to say. And a lot of what the book talks about in terms of being critical of the social justice movement is that it elevates identity to the point of essentially being a religion. And I think you see this in the conversation about Ralph Northam, especially like just the conversations people are having that aren't splashed across the opinion pages of major newspapers, that white people don't want to be reduced to just being white people, but we are white people, right? And so we kind of hold on to that. And what does this mean for white people? Like, that's what we want to extrapolate, right? What does this mean for white people? And that's not healthy either. And I think we've got to be able to hold that identity somewhat gently as well and listen to people of color, listen to people who have been historically marginalized by white people, listen knowing that each of us can both be absolved of historical problems and complicit in current ones in ways that we don't always fully understand. And that's okay. Like, we are allowed to get stuff wrong as people. And Ralph Northam got this wrong, and he's allowed to do that and still have a good life, a successful life. He just doesn't need to be in this position. And that's hard. That's a really hard message. Like, what standard are we going to hold people to? How far back are we going to go? We want these bright lines about all of that that feel incredibly fair. And that's just not the way anything works in the world. And so I think the maturing process for the American public is is for all of us to understand that, that that's just there aren't bright lines and fair tests and ways in which you can be comforted about every aspect of your upbringing. You just have to learn and grow and be comfortable with being uncomfortable through all of it. And I think the universe is testing the state of Virginia and all of us because at first it appeared Oh, the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, is black. He is the descendant of slaves, and he has this amazing story. He's a young guy, and so it appeared to have that bright line for everyone. Okay, great. We have the perfect solution here. Ralph Northam is exposed as having this racist past. He can resign, and now we have a black lieutenant governor who can step into his position. Easy peasy. (laughs) But as I said, the universe likes to remind us that everything is not always that simple. And now there is reporting that Justin Fairfax has been accused of sexual assault. It came from some reporting of another lesser known news website. He tweeted that this 
was reported to the Washington Post after he won, but before he was inaugurated, that it could not be verified. So the Post decided not to run the story. The Post has come out and said, we heard the story. They explained the story. They do not expose the identity of the woman. She did not tell anybody about it at the time. So there was not contemporaneous corroboration. I thought one of the most powerful quotes from an anonymous friend of both parties during this time said was, it doesn't sound like something he would do, and it doesn't sound like something she would lie about, which knocked me back on my heels when I heard it. And I think Beth is right that it's the state of sexual assault allegations often is that quote. So, I mean, this is really difficult. And we don't know what's going to happen. There are so many unknowns that we might never understand, that we might never be able to cooperate or have evidence about, as as often happens with sexual assault allegations. And now we have this extra layer of difficulty wrapped up in identity and difficult politics and and difficult cultural moments we're all having. And I don't have a great answer and I don't have an easy conclusion and I don't have a simple hot take because this is the embodiment of all these incredibly complex issues that we are dealing with right now as Americans. One reaction to both of these stories is to get very partisan very quickly. The news site that initially released the photo of Governor Northam and then the allegations of sexual assault against Lieutenant Governor Fairfax is a right-wing startup. It has Bigly in its title, right? This is like a a Trump-loving kind of space. And so you say, how do I treat this, knowing where it came from? And my answer is always... Let me see who else has it, because I Mm -hmm. firmly believe in today's news environment, if it's not being picked up by multiple sources, you need to be very, very skeptical. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with, okay, the Washington Post didn't find this credible enough to print, which is important. That's important. Believe Women is not inconsistent with Vet the Claims. And do an analysis of the risk involved with printing a story and the importance of the story. That analysis is important. And news organizations that are exercising caution are doing important work in exercising that caution. And I think trying to learn some lessons from the past. And that is also difficult because the reason we talk about believing women is that too often women are not believed. And it's very difficult for them to get these stories out. This is a mess. And I think one way we can all step back from it and try to learn something and make the best of it is to resist that impulse to bring partisanship to the table. I think it would be incredibly helpful to that process, my Republican brothers and sisters and loved ones, if we would shut up because... (laughs) Democrats are doing the work of trying to figure this out within their party. And us piling on is not only incredibly hypocritical, come on, Mm -hmm. but it also lends to an atmosphere where it's hard to know what's true because of the disastrous partisanship that has plagued the United States for the past couple of years. And so, to me, if Republicans are passionate suddenly, 
about the standards of race relations that public officials abide by, then looking into our own house is the right next step instead of piling on to the Northam situation. If Republicans are passionate suddenly about the standards of sexual assault allegations to which public figures should be held looking in our own house instead of piling on to Lieutenant Governor Fairfax would be the right next step. And we should just all kind of step back and try to allow this to unfold with a recognition that both of these things are painful for a whole lot of people. I thought that a piece of feedback we got from Dr. Jessica Smock this past week about our abortion conversation is that however you feel about this issue, the memes on Facebook about late-term abortion re-traumatize women who did not want to have an abortion and Mm -hmm. had to because of medical circumstances. We are hurting people all over again with the way we talk about this. And let us not do that around the blackface photograph and the systemic issues of Mm -hmm. race that it represents. And another, who do we believe in an incredibly fraught scenario of a Mm -hmm. sexual assault allegation? I totally agree. We will compliment the other side before we talk about what the State of the Union looks like from our perspective. Sarah, who are you thinking about today? I'm going to lighten it way up. Way, way up. It needs some lights. Everybody get ready for a, a dramatic shift. It's also completely shallow, but I don't care. I just want to say that I like Ted Cruz's beard. That's my compliment for the other side this week. I think it looks nice, and he should have grown it a long time ago. There you go. I'm going to compliment Democrats in the New York legislature. In a very short amount of time, New York Democrats have taken their state from one of the worst places to vote to one of the most accessible places to vote. And they're making just lots of changes about early access, auto updating addresses when they move within the state, pre-registering for 16 and 17 year olds. I do not understand the logic of Mitch McConnell and others that I was about to say, you don't see this as a power play. I don't. Power grab. I don't understand that logic. And I think that there's no clearer announcement that you don't believe in the strength of your own ideas than saying that you don't want more people to vote. That's just undemocratic. And I'm happy that this work is being done in New York. I hope it gets done in lots of other states. So kudos to you, New York Democrats. Next up, we are going to talk about the State of the Union, both the address itself and how we think the State of the Union is looking from where we sit. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. As we were preparing to have this conversation about the State of the Union, Sarah, I was trying to do an exercise of the State of the Union is fill in the blank with one word. And the first thing I thought about is the state of the union is, this is more than one word, but a bad idea. <laughs> Instead of that, the state of our actual union, you just, I, you, let's get this out of the way because you do have some thoughts on this. You would like to eliminate the state of the union. Tell us why. I would like to change the state of the union to be a written report from the president to Congress that has actually useful information in it. Instead of a weird political moment when we bring all branches of our government together to listen to the president as though he is a monarch. That's what I would mm-hmm. like. It also just does seem like a bad idea security-wise. It's a bad idea security-wise. I hate the who is being invited as a guest to mm-hmm. the State of the Union and who's really going to show it to people and like rub it in their faces that they're inviting this guest. I hate using spouses of deceased military members or the mm-hmm. victim of... Violent crimes as political props. I hate the clapping. I just, I hate all of it. Every single bit of it, I think, is so undemocratic and so immature and contributes so negatively to our political climate. 
and doing it now, 11 days out from another deadline to see if we're even going to be able to keep the government open. Is the State of the Union open? I don't know. Right. Like, I just think it's a terrible practice that should be permanently ended. And as a reflection of our actual State of the Union, it does seem to be just degrading in value and quality. Like, I feel like the political outburst during the Obama administration just set off this, which Supreme Court justice is eye-rolling. I mean, maybe I was too young to be paying very close attention. I don't remember a lot of that, even in the Bush administration. Definitely when I was younger, like, it was always kind of like a boring speech. Nobody watched it. And maybe I just wasn't engaged enough in political analysis that there was always this sort of, like you say, immaturity. But it seems to be getting worse. I also think it puts pressure on presidents to come up with these like big, daunting, moonshot Mm -hmm. kind of goals, which is just unnecessary. Some presidents need to just go in and be good, boring presidents where the government Mm -hmm. just works well and things get done. And it's not always this epic journey for one man who's going to change the course of history. Can we stop that? So Mm -hmm. I just I think we should alleviate the pressure. I also think that it's not true when presidents have to stand up there and talk about uniting the country if every other action they take is inconsistent with that. And I'm not just talking about this president. Just don't do it. Dispense with this. There is probably important information for the executive to transmit to Congress. I believe that the Constitution has good ideas in it and that we should follow those ideas. But absolutely nothing in the Constitution counsels in favor of a co-equal branch of government having the floor in front of the other two branches of government and waiting for them to either applaud or sit in stone face silence so they can become Internet memes. Okay, I feel better. Thank you for granting me this opportunity to get that off my chest. You're welcome. I think that was um, really important for you to express, (laughs) (laughs) to get out of the way. I was thinking when you were talking about that, when you said it's a man, that I'm all about getting rid of it unless we get a woman president. And then I do want to see a female president (laughs) to the State of the Union just once, just one good time. And then I'm willing to go along with eliminating it. But when you said... A man stand up there and do that. I'm like, oh, no, I really want to see a woman do it at least once. I'm, I'm OK. I just want it eliminated. I want it gone. I'm I am here for the first Oval Office address from a female president. I'm excited about all of the creative ways that I think a woman as president would choose to communicate with the American people. But this thing done. I'm over it. So the reporting about President Trump's State of the Union is that he is going to focus on uniting and coming together as a nation. And that his moonshot sounds like it's going to be ending HIV transmissions by 2030. So I feel like he has to he's he's meeting exactly the sort of standard expectation that you've talked about, despite the fact that his actions don't really reflect those priorities. But it is super convenient for us because if I was to say if I was to answer the state of our nation is, I would say, divided. And I agree that beginning to come together is important. And conveniently, we have written a book on that exact topic. So if you were to say about the state of our nation or the state of our union in the terms that the president answers it, what would you say? I have a bunch of adjectives that I would fill in there. My first one is like the state of the union is under the best case scenario, TBD. I think the state of the union is TBD. We have the Mueller investigation hanging out there. We have huge gambles from this administration on things like exiting from the Paris Climate Accords, exiting from the Iran nuclear agreement, exiting from the INF with Russia. 
on starting a trade war with China and then trying to work it out. Writing love letters to Kim Jong-un and hoping that that works out. We have all these huge (laughs) gambles out there, and I'm willing to take them as gambles. I'm willing to say I would not have done these things, but hopefully they will create the kind of pressure that creates some positive movement. Feels like a great big stretch goal to me, but I'm willing to go there. But I think best case scenario, we just have a lot hanging in the balance right now that has not gotten sorted out yet. Please don't forget the plethora of positions unfilled within the administration as well. Like we have a lot of interim people, not a lot of appointments, some delayed confirmations. I think TBD also applies to the fact that there are sort of interim in between leadership in so many positions within our government. Absolutely. We, again, don't know if the government is going to be funded past February 15th. So to me, it just feels like the state of our union holistically is undecided right now. Since this is our book launch day, we want to talk about that as well. And I think it is relevant because one of the principal tenets of the book, especially as we begin to explore ways to engage with one another, is that we've chosen this. We've chosen this. I think one of my biggest beasts with the State of the Union is that it's this sort of detached presentation as if the State of our Union is not a choice. One of my big, huge beefs is this, oh, do you, are you happy with the direction of our government? Well, we're all driving the car. Don't stop asking that question as if we don't have any power over the direction of our government. And what we really hope to do in the book and what we really hope people will engage with each other with this understanding after reading the book is that we are empowered and that we do have a choice in how we engage with politics, how we think about politics, how we engage with our democratic institutions, our cultural institutions, and just to play a more active role and not to sit back either as sort of traumatized in a state of detachment and a state of disempowerment or really as at the opposite end of the spectrum and just as sort of angry consumers. But to give grace to people within the system, people angry at the system, people who disagree with you, because the state of our union to me is only as good as the state of our relationship with one another as Americans. And right now, That relationship is strained. And for good reason. You know, I think that decades of racial oppression, gender inequality, the growing gap between the rich and the poor, there are are good and valid reasons why that relationship is strained. But if we have decided that we want to maintain the state of our union and we want to move forward together, then my most earnest prayer for this book is that as everyone reads it, we just decide to prioritize that relationship, not by ignoring the past, not by moving away from justice or from legislative change, from systematic change, but just by prioritizing that relationship and saying that I'm not going to treat you as the enemy. I'm not going to treat you as other or less than because we are in relationship together as Americans. And if we're going to continue that way, 
then we have to stop prioritizing political points and being right or feeling righteous above everything else. I think that's well said. I mean, another thing that I think about the state of our union is it's just so noisy that there's no mm-hmm. space for learning. The state of the union is loud. It is loud. And one of the reasons that I led with its TBD is because I do want to acknowledge what I don't know. So I get the news alert that we're withdrawing from the INF with Russia. And my immediate reaction is to want to throw things, right? Because that sounds really bad. This agreement that we've had in place since the Cold War to try to have fewer weapons in the world, that seems like something we want to preserve. I still feel that way after learning more about it. I also want to make space to acknowledge that for 10 years at least, we have had concerns about violations of that agreement. For 10 years at least, we've had concerns about the fact that China is not bound by that agreement. And so China is free to be developing all kinds of weapons while the United States and Russia ostensibly sit on our heels because of this agreement. Is the pressure created by withdrawing from this agreement going to lead to a negotiation where China comes to the table? If so, that would be a really great outcome. And I have to just be quiet enough to make room for that possibility. And I have to be quiet enough to look at the history of this topic and not just react to what to me at first feels like and still feels like another example of the president being much better at ending agreements than getting them done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of cultural messaging that says, take a breath and think about this. And even if you don't move, and that's something I really want to emphasize about our book, we are not saying that you should compromise on everything. We are not saying that you should try to find more agreement with, quote, the other side on every single topic. We are saying simply, like, take a beat and think about it and listen and make sure that what you believe is really what you believe and that it still applies today with more information that it might still apply five years from now with greater information and a completely new landscape. I don't want people to pick up our book and think I'm about to be lectured about civility or I'm about to be told that we need to come together on everything because we don't. My three-year-old is learning about magnets at her preschool right now, and she's like really excited to talk about the North and South Poles of the magnet and how you need them both. And I've been thinking a lot about how I think our book is saying not snap together, America. It is also saying, though, that right now we have pulled the poles so far apart that we've lost that place of tension where they're still attracted to one another. They Mm. maintain their differences, but they're still attracted to one another. And I think that's really what I wish, that we could dial the volume down in our country enough to get to that, just to mix a thousand metaphors, to get to that state of just holding the tension between the poles. Amen. Amen. Before we wrap this conversation up, Sarah, I want to ask you, is there anything in particular that you're going to be listening for in the President's State of the Union, accepting the world as it is today, that we're going to have this thing? 
even though I strongly believe we shouldn't. Is there anything that you're going to be particularly listening for? No, because, sorry, that's not very nuanced. Um, (laughs) No, no, because it's still him giving the State of the Union. I think that you'll see what you saw last time because it worked, which is he will attempt to be presidential. I don't I don't expect any major disruption. And we'll see a little bit of a bump because that's the other thing that bugs me about the State of the Union is it's become sort of campaign strategy, presidential campaign strategy. And that's the sort of the way it's being reported. Trump's under siege. Can he turn around the State of the Union? This very. um, It's like the big game, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, no, I think it will be. Pretty, I think it will meet expectations, which are low. I don't expect any game changing moments. What about you? I agree with all of that. The one thing that I am going to have my ear really attuned to is how the president talks about the Middle East because of reporting. So he had this long interview over the weekend in which he talked about wanting to keep some of our troops in Iraq. So I think he's recognized that this knee jerk, let's pull everybody out of Syria and Afghanistan, was not his finest moment. Mm -hmm. And is trying to walk that back without admitting that he made a mistake. That's my read of the situation. And so he said, we're going to keep troops in Iraq to keep an eye on things in the Middle East. And those statements, it's being reported by the New York Times, have concerned American diplomats and military officials because they could jeopardize our ability to actually work with the Iraqi government in opposition to ISIS. I feel that John Bolton in particular is itching for a conflict with Iran. And I think the president is always, to the extent that he does anything in a somewhat subtle way, he is always laying foundation for Iran is the worst. And so I'm going to be listening in this speech to the direction that he is taking our Middle East policy and whether he tries to bring a case to the American people for military intervention in Iran. You know, which is a cheery note to end this conversation on. But we will be listening and reading. I like to read his speeches better than listen to them. So probably we'll be processing their remarks in a slow news kind of way, which is our favorite. And we'll be interested in your thoughts about the State of the Union as well. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? I've been thinking a lot about beauty routines. My friends and I have been having extensive conversations on Marco Polo about what products we're using, what we do or don't do. Also, you know, along with Half of America, I watch Jamie Golden's Beauty Rex on Instagram stories and then feel like I need to buy all the things. And I've just realized, though, that I am like, I've been Marie Kondoing my beauty routine over the years. And have been slowly eliminating things that do not bring me joy. For example, I no longer blow dry my hair and haven't in a very long time. I no longer get pedicures or manicures because they don't bring me enough joy to justify the outlay of time and money. I do not shave in the wintertime. Like all these different things and like products, they just really, my as I get older, my level of like joy they must spark products or routines has to be really high, really, really high. I do, I do a lot of skincare because I both enjoy and think it's impactful to take care of my skin. But as far as like makeup and particularly hair care, you know, I'm just, I'm cutting left and right, man. That's so perfect because I just cleaned out the cabinet under my sink where all my beauty stuff is. It was such a good exercise. I have so I for so long I collected samples of things. I collected different like curl products in particular. You know, I've got this giant naturally curly hair. And so I feel like I've always been in the search for, oh, maybe this cream is going to reduce the frizz and maybe 
this spray will better define my curl. And I got rid of all of that stuff and just pared it down to what I actually want to use every day. And now I don't have to make any decisions ever about what I'm pulling out. And I'm really happy with my cold set of beauty products. And I'm even happier with all the little boxes that I set up so I can just pull out what I need at a time. I feel like I have combined the worlds of Marie Kondo and beauty in the same way that you're talking about to great effect. Yeah, it's just it's exhausting. I think when you have too many that decision fatigue, which I'm very prone to. And it's just a lot of money. It's a lot of money and it's a lot of time. This conversation started because my friend was following this woman on Instagram and her passion is like getting women their time back. I mean, there's a theory that part of the pay gap between men and women is women spend more time getting ready. And that's just time you can't be earning or improving your earning capacity. So she was just talking about, you know, if you're spending an hour blow drying your hair every morning and I get you that time back. So she's really passionate about dry shampoo. I learned this totally new way to like scrub dry shampoo into your roots. That really, I think, makes a difference. And extending the amount of days you can go without washing your hair is one of the big conversations we were having. And I think it's true. I think it is political. And I think it is bigger than just adopting the culture narrative of this is a way to treat yourself. And that's not to say if some of this stuff doesn't really spark joy with you, that's fine. But like there's also a multi-billion dollar industry that is sending us a million messages that this is the path to happiness. And, you know, I just I reject it. And I've really dialed into I feel like a better sense of what actually adds to my life in real ways with regards to these products and and practices that it is. It's making me a lot happier. Here's the thing that sparks joy for me. I bought a Target, a five dollar lavender eye mask. I know I want one and I don't have a Target. It's so good. So you know how you go in Target and there's the little section of the inexpensive things? You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? I don't know what they call that. I just know that it's where my money goes to die. <laughs> because they, there's often just such fun like holiday decor or activities for kids or whatever. So I always check it out. Well, they just happen to have these like satiny eye masks. It's not really a mask. It's just like a bean bag that goes over your eyes smells like lavender. It's wonderful. Every time I can't sleep, I put it on my eyes. I'm gone. It's so nice. And I don't know if it's just that I'm like having a Pavlovian response. I've decided this is the thing that's going to help me. Don't care. It's so good. During the Super Bowl, I got really bored because it was a super boring game. I put on my headphones and turned on a meditation, put that eye mask on. I heard very few words from the guided meditation and I woke up like three hours later with my eye mask and my headphones still on. It's just really awesome. And that to me is treating myself because it is just for me. So my lipstick is for me and also other people see it fine. But I do think you're right that we've been told a lot of treating ourselves is actually for other people. And Mm -hmm. this eye mask is just for me. It serves no other purpose in the whole entire universe. And it just makes me relaxed and happy and kind of puts a bookend on my day. And I highly recommend that everybody go get themselves one. So another big part of self-care that we believe in here at Pantsu Politics is commemorating. And so as we wrap up this episode, it is a very big day for us as our book launches into the world. And we definitely wanted to take a moment to celebrate and to say thank you to every single one of you who have listened, who have encouraged us, who have pre-ordered the book, 
been on the launch team, ordered the book for your reps and your senators and your dads. Lots of dads getting this book, just saying. I don't think you feels like such a small way to express my gratitude. I mean, writing a book has been a lifelong dream of mine. And so to have it come true is very, very, very special. It would not have been possible without this community. And of course, without Beth, who I definitely also want to say thank you to for being on this journey and for writing this book with me and our team, our amazing agent, Sharon, and all the team at Thomas Nelson. It's just, it's a really, really big moment. And I'm so, I'm so incredibly grateful. I echo all of that. I am so grateful for you, Sarah, because I have also always wanted to write a book, but have erased the beginning of thousands of books in my life because I just have never believed in my voice the way that you have taught me to. And so I'm so happy that we had the opportunity to do this together. I'm so grateful to all of you for listening because if you didn't listen, we definitely wouldn't have this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't buying the book, we would never get another opportunity. And we're just overwhelmed by your support. And here's the other thing. Like, there's a part of me that always thinks I don't want to be selling something and I don't want to be selling something. But I really do believe that we're trying to offer something with this book. And that's where my heart is. I want this book. What, what are my hopes for this book? I just want it to be helpful. I just want it to go out into the world and be helpful. And so thank you for being part of that. We will be back in your ears on Wednesday over at The Nuance Life and on Friday back here at Pantsu Politics. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant, which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband Nicholas Holland, and my husband Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.